Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support bless Emmaus God, Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Hey, uh, two things happened. First, this came from here, had a benediction. When Taylor was singing this, and as the world grows darker, hatred, anger, racism, fear, etc., he's called all of us to put on the armor of God and to use it accordingly, to be ready in and out of season and to stand in truth. That we may be the only light that someone sees at a given time. But he gave me Isaiah 41.10. And it's, it's interesting because when you were praying back here, somebody was really praying and travailing, and the scripture came just like that. And so I, I appreciate that. Whoever did that, thank you. <laughs> But the scripture is, don't be afraid from with you. Don't be distressed from your God. I give you strength. I give you help. I support you with my victorious right hand. So he will be with us in these times that he calls us to stand with the armor on. Mm-hmm. Amen. Anyone else? So it's just a very interesting thing, again, just of the thoughts of generations to generations. And... Um, you know, in, in Hebrew, it's uh, Lador Vador, you know, from generation to generation. And I was just asking God, you know, just, you know, what is that specifically? And to, you know, for today, and there's part of me where I felt like it was just this idea of there is the process where God will chase us, not just through this time here, but through our generations and generations. He longs for us to know him and to be with him and to be with our children. So if we sit back and we pray and just ask that the Lord would just follow through, he will, he will seek us and seek our generations, generations that know him and stuff. So it's just one of those things where I think our God chases after us. No matter where we're at, he'll find us, he'll love us. And the desires and fears about, you know, is my kid's gonna be okay? Is he going to know? He will know and stuff like that if we take that time to just seek from generation to generation. So I just wanted to share that today. Amen. Thank you. Hmm. All right. So this week we're beginning the story of Joseph. This week's portion is Vayeshev. And you're not going to be following the verses along on the screen because technology is not cooperating. And uh, so I'm going to be playing uh, Flip Through the Bible a bit more than normal today. And uh, that's, that's quite all right. Um, this is all going to work out because, you know, I'm fine. I'm going to really follow my notes anyway. <laughs> uh, so what I, what I felt like the, today's message should be focused on is the idea of perseverance and endurance. And... And we see that so much in Joseph's life. And I, and I feel like there's something, too, with the words spoken this morning, even the opening prayer that, and the songs that were sung that are going to tie into this. Because there, there's an element of, well, there, there's a path that we walk along in our lives. And the path we walk on doesn't always have a clear direction for us. We may think one thing, but find ourselves in a 
headed down a different road than what we thought. And at times we can think that we're lost. But even in the times when we think that we're lost, we're never alone because God is with us along the journey. And when we were singing about the blessing from generation to generation and the part of saying he is for you, he is for you. How many people need to hear he is for you? And wherever you are in your journey, whatever path it is, how many times do you think in Joseph's life he needed to hear God say, I'm for you? I'm for you. When he sat in the pit, stripped of his cloak, when he was falsely accused and thrown into prison, when he was forgotten by the cupbearer, how many times do you think he needed to hear, Joseph, I'm still with you and I'm for you. Because I think we've all had moments in our lives when we felt like we were in the pit or where we had been falsely accused or when we had been forgotten. And those things can affect our outlook. They can even affect our path forward depending on how we choose to respond to these things. But when we know that God is with us and for us, we can then have the strength to persevere, to endure, and to walk out our steps to the best of our ability in faithful trust of him. And that's, that's really the life that Joseph lived. He didn't live a perfect life, but he held, <clears throat> he held fast to God. He maintained his faith, and he walked uprightly. And because he did, God prospered him. And God was able to bring forth his plan of bringing Joseph to a place of royalty and being an agent of salvation. But he had to go through this process. He had to go through a process of growing in maturity, learning humility, learning how to thrive even in the midst of difficulty, and even be able to hold fast to, his, to faith in his God when things weren't going the way that he had hoped that they would. Now, within this whole path, I mentioned that there is there's a way that we can respond to the difficulties in our lives. And at the beginning of this portion, we see, we see Joseph's brothers making poor decisions with how they were going to respond to circumstances. So let's look at Genesis 37. We'll start in verse 1. Jacob settled in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the chronicles of Jacob. Joseph, at the age of 17 years, was a shepherd with his brothers by the flock, but he was a youth with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph would bring evil reports about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all, his son, than all his sons since he was a child of his old age, and he made him a fine woolen tunic. 
His brothers saw that it was he whom their father loved most of all, of all of all his brothers, so they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably with to him. Okay, so I'm going to pause right there. So Joseph was bringing evil reports about his brothers. We don't actually know which brothers. It's a little unclear as to whether it was reports about the children of Bilhah and Zilpah or about the children of Leah. But he was bringing evil reports, telling on them to his father. Now, in verse 3, the scripture says, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons. In verse 1, scripture refers to him as Jacob. Now, I can't remember if it was last week or, yeah, I think it was last week. When God said to Jacob, he said, you will not always be called Jacob, but Israel will be your name. So there were times that the scripture will continue to refer to Jacob as Jacob, and there are times that scripture will refer to him as Israel. And the understanding of the sages is that when the scripture speaks of him as Jacob, it's speaking of him in his flesh nature. And when it speaks of him as Israel, it's speaking in his spiritual capacity. So what we have here, often we think of his love of Joseph more than his brothers as being some fault within him in the physical. And it may be. I'm not trying to discount that. I think that there's still an element there with the favoritism that is an issue. But the scripture says Israel loved Joseph more. So there's also an underlying message here of a spiritual significance that Jacob was recognizing within Joseph for his potential and what God was calling him forward. So there was a unique love there for what God had purposed within Joseph. And then he made him a fine woolen tunic. Okay, the fine woolen tunic would have been something that would have been given to a firstborn, to set the firstborn apart. And Joseph was a firstborn, but not the firstborn of Jacob, but the firstborn through Rachel. Okay? And so he, he established him as the, the, the firstborn who would receive the blessing. Now his brothers saw it, and their response was that they hated him. So his brothers had a hatred for Joseph in this moment. You could even argue that they had a hatred for their father because it doesn't clearly state who the him is. I'm not trying to throw confusion into things by stating this. It's just the reality is the scripture doesn't always give us an explicit explanation of every little bit. There's aspects, aspects for us to ask the question and say, what if it means this? And if it means this, what other understanding can I gather? What else may God be trying to show me in these passages? Because there is a rift between the sons of Leah and their father. Because they knew that Rachel was the most loved wife. And you can follow a trail through the scriptures of even, if you look back at the story of Dina last week, with her being taken, and the scripture says that Jacob remained silent until his sons came in from the field. There's the question of, well, how did, how did her brothers 
sons of Leah feel about the fact that Jacob was silent in this moment? It's like, do you not care? I mean, I realize she's a daughter of Leah and not your favorite Rachel, right? So there's, there's questions of how much was Simeon and Levi's response out of a, an anger that had built up for being the children of the less loved wife, right? So there's the question of, okay, where is their animosity? Is it all with Joseph? Or is it with Joseph, but it kind of stems from the father too? Okay, so this hatred is coming up. Now, continuing in verse 5, Joseph dreamt a dream which he told to his brothers, and they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear, if you please, this dream which I dreamt. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the middle of the field, when, behold, my sheaf arose and also remained standing. And then, behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Don't you know Joseph felt pretty good in that moment? <laughs> he said, I got a story to tell you guys. This is this really cool dream. I, I don't understand it, but maybe you can help me understand it. No, no, I don't know. But, and his brother said to him, would you then reign over us? Would you then dominate us? And they hated him even more because of his dreams and because of his talk. So now we see the escalation. And then he dreamt another dream and related it to his brother. He said, look, I dreamt another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And he related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father scolded him and said, what is this dream that you have dreamt? Are we to come, I and your mother and your brothers, to bow down to you to the ground? So his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. Now, there's something happening here. Scripture said that they hated him and they couldn't speak to him peaceably. And then they hated him more. And then they hated him even more. And then they became jealous of him. The next thing that we go into is they're ready to kill him. They got to that point because they continued to nurse the wound and to I don't know, I'm trying to think of embrace. They embraced the wound. They embraced the hurt. They embraced the anger to the point that it became hatred. And then more hatred. Increasing hatred to jealousy and murder. See, they didn't respond with the heart that we need to respond to in trials and difficulty. They didn't say, you know what, I understand there are circumstances beyond my control. God is communicating to Joseph that he has grand plans for him and our father loves him. But what are we going to do with this? Are we going to nurse our flesh or are we going to step back and say, God, where am I in this? Where are you in this? Help me to see how you see me. Help me to see that you are with me. And that just as you have plans for Joseph, you have plans for me. Just as you love Joseph, you love me. It's not easy to do. I'm, I'm giving you an ideal here, right? But the brothers had a choice. And their choice and their heart attitude led them down a path that they really didn't want to go. But they found themselves in it. 
And sometimes when you find yourself in that place, you don't know the way out. And in a moment of, and in a moment, they came up with a simple plan that was a really bad plan with repercussions that would echo through the generations to come, sowing the seeds of the coming exile. So if we continue here in the, in the reading, okay, so, all right, now, and I'll, I'll note here too, you know, I mentioned about the need for Joseph to become humble. He did need to become humble. He also needed to become wise in how he shared what he was receiving from the Lord and to have a discerning spirit. <clears throat> and so he needed to learn humility. Oftentimes when we think of the, the word humble or when we think of humility, we kind of think of self-debasement. We think, oh, I've I got to take myself low. But that's not really what this true godly humility is. Godly humility is, means that you're not walking in pride or being arrogant, right? Um, or consider yourself greater than your, your brothers or sisters, um, but being one who is among your brothers, one who is uh, regarding others more highly than oneself, but yet still recognizing that God has given you gifts, talents, and has a special calling for you to walk in. For if you just debase yourself, then you're making light of what God has placed in you, and that's going to hinder your ability to walk in, in His ways. But sometimes along the way, we have to learn humility, and we, sometimes we learn humility through suffering. We learn humility through mistakes and learning how to then respond, pick ourselves back up, and walk forward. So Joseph had made some mistakes. He had something to learn along the way. So now what we come to, so we have this background of there is animosity between the brothers and Joseph. There is the favored son who is recognized as the firstborn, receiving the blessing. And now we're going to come to what is viewed as kind of a mind-boggling scenario that takes place. Because there is the feelings between the brothers and Joseph are known. To what degree? I, I can't tell you. But the sages uh, can't make their commentary says that Jacob and Joseph both knew of the dangers that were going to take place when Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers. So let's read here in Genesis 37, verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing in Shechem, are they not? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. And he said to him, Go now, look into the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring me back word. So he sent him from the depth of Hebron, and he arrived at Shechem.
Okay, I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to come back and make some comments. Um, Verse 15, a man discovered him and behold, he was blundering in the field. The man asked him saying, what do you seek? And he said, my brothers, do I seek? Tell me, please, where are they pasturing? The man said, they have sojourned or they have journeyed on from here. For I heard them saying, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and when he had not yet approached them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, Look, that dreamer is coming. So now come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say, A wild beast devoured him. Then we shall see what will become of his dreams. Reuben heard, and he rescued them him from their hand, and he said, We will not strike him mortally. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but lay no hand on him, intending to rescue him from from their hand to return him to to his father. All right, so here in the scriptures, Israel said to Joseph, again, Israel, spiritual nature, I'm going to send you to your brothers. And note, he says, come, I will send you to him. And Joseph's response was, Hineni, here I am. You know, the scripture really didn't need to put in what Joseph's response was. If you were trying to write a story and you wanted it to just flow and maybe write it quickly because you don't have a lot of parchment, okay, then you wouldn't say that. You'd say, come, I'll send you to them. Go now, look into the welfare of your brothers. But I think God had Moses include this because he wanted to say, Joseph didn't just get the command and go. He said, here I am, Father. I'm ready to go and do your will. And the scripture says, he sent him from the depth of Hebron, and he arrived at Shechem. Now, when it says he sent him from the depth of Hebron, there's a problem with that. It actually literally would say from, from the valley of Hebron. The only problem is that Hebron is not a valley. Hebron is a mountain. So how do you send somebody from the valley of a mountain? And let, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so the scripture is telling us that there's something else to what took place in this sending. There's more to the story than meets the eye here. And so... The sages understand this as being an allusion to Jacob taking his son to Abraham's tomb and from there dispatching him, taking him from, well, really taking him back to the, to the promise given to Abraham the promise of the covenant, the promise of the land, the promise of a people. And dispatching him from there, and that that they knew that it was a dangerous mission to be sending him to check on his brothers. Because if Jacob really just wanted to know how are my sons and how are the flock, he could have sent any servant that he wanted to. But in the, in the Zohar, they say that the fact that he chose his favorite son and sent him was proof that God was acting to carry out his word to Abraham. It's an interesting thing to think on. Right? That if this cherished son 
who Jacob know his brothers don't like, is in danger when he sends him to check on the welfare of the, of the brothers and of the flock, then there's something more important than just knowing their status. There's a mission taking place. And when I hear about this mission, when I think of, of these aspects of what the sages teach about this sending out of Joseph and his willingness to go, and do the will of his father, even though he knows that it puts his life at risk, his desire is to check on his brothers and on the flock. So we see in this a parallel with, with the life of Yeshua. The firstborn of God, the firstborn of all creation, being sent to check on the welfare of his, of the, of his brothers who represent the leaders and of the flock who represent the people of Israel. So if we looked in, in Luke, an example in this would be in Luke chapter 20, verse 9. Yeshua gives an illustration that is a nice parallel here. He began to tell this parable. He said, A man planted a vineyard and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey for a long time. And at the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine, gr vine growers in order that they might give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send another slave, and they beat him also and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third, and this one also they wounded and cast out. And the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another, saying, This is the heir. Let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy these vine growers and will give the vine vineyard to others. And with the, when they heard it, they said, May it never be. Right? He was, he was rebuking the leaders of Israel. For they were behaving in such a way as to not give to God what was his. And the example Yeshua was speaking of is the multiple times that God had sent prophets to call his people back to faithfulness. But ultimately then God said, the welfare of my flock and my children is so important that I will send my favorite son, my beloved son, to check on their welfare. And we know that's what Yeshua came to do was check on the welfare and to give hope, to give a turning back to faithfulness to God. And just as Joseph was conspired against, so too Yeshua was conspired against by the leaders and cast down. But yet from that place of being cast down, he was not forgotten. And just as Joseph was raised from the pit. Yeshua was raised from the pit, right? Joseph went forward to bring a salvation to his brothers and even that of the whole world at that time. And Yeshua was brought forth from the grave to go forward and bring a salvation to the nation of Israel and to all the world. And you know, when it, when it comes to the story of Joseph being brought out of the pit and being brought to Egypt, I know I'm jumping ahead in the story, 
right? You may not have read this part yet, but he becomes a ruler in Egypt, okay? <laughs> and, but the thing is, he was even a source of salvation to those who had betrayed him, right? Because he went forward and he acted as a savior for his brothers. Because even in the midst of the betrayal that he suffered, yet he was still able to love them. And so too, even Yeshua abounds in love. You recall when he was on the cross, he said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Even in the midst of the greatest suffering and betrayal and false accusation, Yeshua was able to choose life and good so that he could fulfill God's purpose and plan in him. Because he too had a time when God said, Behold, I, I will send you to them. And he said, Hineni, here I am. Send me. And he went forward to go and accomplish God's will and purpose. And he endured sufferings because he knew there was a greater price and he, or there was, a, there was a greater goal and he knew all the way through that God was with him and he could hear the Father say, I'm for you, I'm for you. I think both Yeshua and Joseph heard that. And I think that if we will slow down and open our hearts and come before God, we'll hear that. We'll hear, I'm for you, I'm for you, and I'm with you. We have to be, for us to hear him, he has to be with us, okay? And he's with us. So, so Jacob sends Joseph, and Joseph goes willingly, and his brothers now allow themselves to go to the point of saying, we're, we're, we are willing to kill him, and we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Hmm. Now, Reuben stands with a full intent to rescue Joseph. But he comes up with a, a, uh, he comes up with a plan on how he can do it without standing and confronting his brothers in the moment against their plan and says, we'll throw him in this pit. We'll just let him die there. But unbeknownst to you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to pull him out and I'm going to return him to father unharmed. So, so they throw him in the pit. They strip him of his cloak. They throw him in the pit. And, and now we've come to the point of another, well, oh, man. Okay. The time's going. Do we have the Rosh Kodesh teaching? We do. Okay, yes. I forgot to ask beforehand. <laughs> I knew you would. I just wanted to double check. But you don't. Omid does. Okay. Wonderful. Okay. Um, let me think for a second. All right. So what we're going to do. Let, let's, let's continue the story here so we can see what happens. And then we're going to jump forward to what uh, Caleb read earlier. Okay. So verse 25. 
They, they cast him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 25 says, They sat to eat food. They raised their eyes and they saw him. Behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead. Their camels bearing spices, balsam, and lotus on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What gain will there be if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. But let our hand not be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. One thing that was really good here is that there were people giving advice that was better than the first idea, right? There was, let's kill him. No, 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 no. Let's throw him in the pit. Okay, all right, that sounds okay. That way there's no blood on our hands. And then there's, well, actually, let's sell him. Let's not let him die. So things are getting better, right? See, it's, it's, it's our attitude, right? <laughs> um, so things are getting better, but they don't get all the way to being better. But he says, come let us sell them to the Ishmaelites. His brothers agreed. And then verse 28, Midianite men, traders passed by. They drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Then they brought Joseph to Egypt. And just for fun... Who is they when it says they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit? Could have been the brothers. It could have been the Midianite men. You don't actually know for certain. But either way, Joseph was in the pit and sold into slavery because of what his brothers did. Okay, so no matter what, he was only sold into slavery because of the actions of his brothers. Now, did they actually get the silver or did they not? That's up for debate. Um, but one of the things that the sages speak of in this is Joseph was sold multiple times to such a point where his brothers would not have been able to find them even though they sought him out. Okay, so just a little side note there. So then... Reuben returns to the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he rent his garments, and returning to his brothers, he said, The boy is gone, and I, where can I go? They took Joseph's tunic, slaughtered a goatling, and dipped the tunic in the blood. They dispatched the fine woolen tunic, and they brought it to their father and said, We found this. Identify if you please. Is it your son's tunic or not? He recognized it, and he said, My son's tunic. A savage beast devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to bits. Then Jacob rent his garments and put, placed sackcloth on his loins, and he mourned for his son many days. All right, so fast forward. Joseph has been taken down into, uh, into Egypt. Uh, there at the end of that chapter, we saw that it says the Medanites sold him to Egypt. That's actually now the third party listed. There was the Ishmaelites, the Midianites, and the Medanites. I don't actually know who the Medanites are, but it's a different group. So then um, we go in and we see, as Caleb read earlier, that he had been sold by the Ishmaelites to Potiphar. He comes into Potiphar's home, and in Genesis 39.1, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, a courtier of Pharaoh, or made courtier of Pharaoh, the chamberlain of the butchers, a prominent Egyptian, purchased him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, 
and he became a successful man, and he remained in the house of his Egyptian master. His master perceived that the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made succeed in his hand. Joseph found favor in his eyes, and he attended him. He appointed him over his household, and whatever he had, he placed in his custody. Well, we're not going to read the rest of this part of the story, but Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, but Joseph refused. He would not do it because he said it would be a sin against God and against his master. So in the midst of this ordeal, he continued to walk in faithfulness to God and in a, as a man of upright character, and God caused him to prosper in all of this. Now, if, if Joseph had been walking with his head down and all like, I'm, I'm a victim, and things are never going to get better, and life's horrible, I was supposed to having my, bro- having my brothers bow down to me, he could not have risen to this position of prominence because he would not have been in a place to thrive. Okay, So this is just another encouragement of our attitude is going to then affect our behaviors, which is then going to affect our calling and our purpose. So then he, he gets falsely accused, once again gets a garment stripped of himself, which is used as evidence to portray a false message about him. The first time it was that he was dead. This time it was that he was an attempted uh, rapist. And so now he's placed in the prison as an, innocent, as an innocent man who is not dead. And in verse 21 of chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph and he endowed him with charisma and he put his favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And the prison warden placed all inmates of the prison in Joseph's custody and everything that was done there he would accomplish. The prison warden did not scrutinize anything that was in his charge and as much as the Lord was with him, And whatever he did, the Lord made successful. I mean, how much more can Joseph take and still have a good attitude? Right? Betrayed by his brothers, removed from a lofty position of success, placed in prison, and yet even there rises to a position of importance And then he finds himself in a divinely appointed place where the cupbearer and the baker of of Pharaoh are with him. And he's put in charge of them specifically. And they have dreams, which it happens to be that he knows how to interpret dreams because he knows how to hear the voice of the Lord. And so he gives the interpretations and he thinks this is my way out. But then he's forgotten. And yet he remained a man of faith. Yet he remained one who didn't hang his head, but walked with perseverance and endurance, trusting that God was going before him and seeing that God was with him. You know, in Genesis thirty-seven twenty, the his brothers said, "We're gonna we're gonna kill him and throw him in this pit, and we're gonna see what will become of his dreams." And according to the the Midrash on that portion, God responded and said, You say, say, let us slay him, but I say, we will see whose plan will, will prevail, yours or mine. Because the thing is, God has a plan and a purpose. And man may seek 
to thwart the plan and the purpose. But that's the very thing that we pray against every Saturday night as we make Havdalah, right? We play for, for the plans of the wicked to be confounded and to come to nothing because God is with us, right? And, and so, and again, this is the same parallel with Yeshua, right? The Sadducees and the leaders said, let's slay him and let's see what comes about his words of being the son of God and his claim as Messiah. And God said, you say, let us slay him. But I say, we will see whose plan will prevail, yours or mine, because I will raise him up and establish him as the king of kings and lord of lords. Right. And he will be an agent of salvation to all who call upon the name of the Lord. So within all of this, right, Joseph endured many trials, many difficulties, ups and downs along the way, times that he would have looked at his life and said, God, what about the dreams? I know those weren't my dreams. It wasn't something I ate. I know that you gave me the dreams. How on earth is this going to happen? And God said, I've got it. I've got it. And he knew, ex and, and God knew that the path that was going to bring him to that place of royalty was going to take him from the heights to the lowest low. But then from the lowest low, he was going to raise him up. So even in our lowest lows, we can have confidence and know that is not the end. We know that, that is not the end because we can trust in the one who is faithful, who will raise us up. The key is looking to him, fixing our eyes on Yeshua, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. And yes, I said that backwards. But... It's, it's in uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. But in, um, we have to run with endurance. Last night as I was um, watching um, some Maccabees song, songs and videos, there, the song that we played at the Hanukkah party came on about the we're still here. Right? And there's still... And it's about that even in this current struggle that Israel is in, the Jewish people face, both in the land and here, okay, in America, with the, with the anti-Semitism and the persecution, it's the same spirit that's worked through all the generations that have sought to destroy the seed of God. But the, the children of Israel are still here, and they still stand, and God's purposes will still prevail, regardless of how many in the nation say, let us slay them and see what happens to God's covenant. God says, no, 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 my covenant will stand and my people will stand, and those who are called by my name will stand because I am their God and I hold them in the palm of my hand. So we're in the season of Hanukkah, we're in the season 
We're remembering how God caused the light to burn even when there wasn't a way physically for it to burn. For eight days, he caused one day's worth of oil to provide. This is all according to tradition. But what we're to glean from that is that just as the scripture says, he won't put out a smoldering wick. He will provide the fuel to our fire so that our fire can continue to burn until the Messiah comes. And God's light will be seen through us when we endure, when we persevere, when we place our faith in him and trust and see his overcoming. And in Romans 5, 3 through 5, the scripture says, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Right? We have given to us this gift of the Spirit, this oil of anointing that fills us up, that our fire can continue, that our hope can remain, that we can know perseverance and proven character and so demonstrate to the world that the light is in us and the light shines in the, in the darkness and has overcome the darkness. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for the life and salvation that we have through Yeshua, our Messiah. We thank you, Lord, for the light that you've placed within us, the hope you've placed in us. And we thank you, Lord, that you are with us and that you are near us and that you are for us. Help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on Yeshua, to take whatever it is that we're in and come straight to you, Lord, and lay it at your feet and say, God, what do you see? Show me your love. Help me to hear your voice. Help me to say, here I am, and to go forward with a heart full of hope and courage and trust in you, Lord. We bless you. Praise you and thank you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.